This evening, I would like to begin a, a series of messages, will probably be quite a few messages, taken from uh, the book of James, the epistle of James. And for tonight, I will be reading just the very first verse um, and then meditate on that before we then in the future look into the many things that we can learn from this wonderful book of the Bible. And so we find um, in James here, chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. The epistle of James, very similar to the epistles that Peter wrote, were written to the 12 tribes, in other words, the Jewish people that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And these Jewish Christians, as we've already heard recently, had been displaced um, specifically from Jerusalem by the persecution and the famine that was there around this time, but also by just um, being dispersed and and going to different places within the empire and relocating, uh, looking probably like many of us or even our parents, coming to a different land looking for a better life and, and uh, a better for our families and for our future. And as we would go through this epistle um, in the time to come, we will find that this letter that James has written to these Jewish Christians is one that is very um, rich in instruction um, for Christians and Christian living and for Christians everywhere, not just to them, but also to us. And it, it really draws us into the teachings very much so of Jesus Christ as we find them in the Gospels as well as touching to many of the truths that are contained in the Proverbs, which would have been very familiar uh, to these um, Jewish believers. And so this letter begins simply by identifying the author for us, the author being James. He identifies himself as such. And just as a note of interest, The name of this book, James, um, and other men that are identified as James in in the Bible, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the proper translation is really Jacob or Jacobus, as it might also be pronounced. And so apart from the English translations, pretty much as far as I know, all other translations or most at least use Jacob and not James as the um, name that is given to us. And James was really um, the name that was adopted, so to speak, when the English translations began to appear. That was more like the, the, the 14th and the 15th century. But obviously we are familiar with James, and so we're going to stick with that name. Now, we know from Scripture that there are a number of um, 
men in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, that were identified by this name of James. And, and most prominently would be James, the brother of John. And we know that they were the sons of Zebedee. They were also identified for us as being the sons of thunder, um, maybe a reference to the, their nature, their character, who, who they were. But uh, we know that t- together with Peter, James and John, the three of them, really made up the kind of the inner circle of the disciples of Jesus. They seemed to be the ones that were maybe more closer to him, more often referenced. We know that they were the three that joined Jesus on the Mount of uh, tra- uh, for his transfiguration, and so they uniquely were able to experience that with him. And of this James, the, the brother of John, we know that early um, in the life of the Christian church in Jerusalem that Herod killed, we read in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, that Herod killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And so he, too, actually was one of the very early martyrs of the Christian church. Then there was also James, um, another disciple, the son of Alphaeus. And he was known as James the Lesser or the Less. And, and actually very little is mentioned in Scripture about him. However, the James that wrote this epistle is commonly believed without much disputing, to be the half-brother of Jesus. Now, we know that uh, from Scripture that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had more children. And specifically in Mark, um, when the um, people in the vicinity of, of Nazareth and those that uh, knew Jesus and knew of him and his, his, uh, as he was growing up were um, resistant to his teaching and accepting what he was saying. And, and they, they comment, isn't this the carpenter from, um, from Nazareth? Uh, we know his mother and his brothers, and then it actually names them, James and jo- Joses and Judah and Simon, and his sisters are here with us. Um, and so he had at least four brothers, Jesus did, half-brothers and at least uh, two half uh, or half sisters that are that are mentioned here and the bible says that they were offended um, of him they really um, didn't identify with him and we don't understand all of that but here are some of the things that we do know about this james and and one of them is specifically that the bible tells us in john chapter 7 verse 5 that his his brethren his brothers did not um believe in him. But we do know that that James, this James, um, was an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so after Jesus resurrected within those 40 days before he ascended up to heaven, we know that he appeared uh, multiple times to his disciples and some of those uh, uh, very close followers that he had. We also know that um, uh, Paul references this as he as he validates the resurrection, and in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses six and seven, 
7, it says that after that, he was seen of more than 500 of his followers at one time, and most of whom are still alive, although some have died. And then, the Bible says, and then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And so it really singles out James here as being one of those to whom Jesus appeared in bodily form, uh, the resurrected Jesus. And uh, I think we can safely assume by this that that this encounter probably, most likely, what is what it was that that turned this James, the half-brother of Jesus, into a believer, into a follower of Christ, into a Christian and becoming a Christian. We know that then that he was um, present with the with the uh, disciples um, as as well uh, as they gathered together uh, he he became part of that that close group of followers and so just as pentecost was approaching and and the spirit of god would descend upon them the bible tells us that uh, that as they gathered in uh, for prayer and 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 met together that uh, together with the women and mary the mother of jesus and his and his brethren um, and perhaps more of his brothers were then also a part of that meeting we also know that James rose really to a place of prominence within the early church there in Jerusalem, which in many ways became the mother church. In Galatians chapter 2, the Bible says that, um, and, and Peter was, was recounting uh, some history here for us, he says uh, that James... Um, Rather, Paul, sorry, was recounting some history here, and he says, James and Peter and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me. And they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. And so we, we see, um, James together with, with Peter, and uh, and John being identified as, as pillars within that early church there in Jerusalem. And sometime later, um, as Paul uh, returned to Jerusalem, and there was much disputing going on between um, among the, the Jewish Christians regarding the Gentiles becoming believers and whether they needed to keep the law, and, and, uh, and, and there was really a... Um, uh, this movement within the early Christian church of Judaizers, those that were insisting that, that the Gentiles also keep the law of the Sabbath and, and circumcision and, and so on. And when they came back from the missionary journey to this council that we read about in Acts chapter 15, we see that it was James that really rose to the occasion and addressed the assembly and, and really in his wisdom was able to, in many ways, diffuse that situation. And so we, we see him as, as certainly one that, that had authority and, and took leadership within the early church. And all of this is, is really important for us to, to know when we read next in, in our reading here, um, the very next thing that uh, 
that James says when he identifies himself as a servant. James, a servant. The Apostle Paul begins most, not all, but most of his letters by identifying himself as an apostle, as does Peter uh, in his epistle as well. And, and both of them also used the, the phrase of apostle and servant, but they did use the, that phrase apostle almost as if to validate and give authority to what they were um, going to write, uh, the message that they were going to write about and give to the believers and validate that based upon their authority as an apostle, which was very significant. And uh, we know, however, that James simply says, a servant. James, a servant. And this is, I believe, very um, noteworthy for us, because we see in this that James saw himself... Um, maybe though he certainly could have been considered and, and perhaps was as an apostle or like an apostle, but he considered himself um, as a servant because he says that. And he appeals to his readers um, on that basis. Not on the basis that, that he somehow was privileged to be the half-brother of Jesus, uh, that close to him, knowing him all of his life, so to speak, nor uh, that he would uh, um, base it on his position of authority there in the that uh, church in Jerusalem as their leader, as their elder, nor even on his reputation that he had and, and the esteem that he had among those early Christians, the respect that he had uh, and prominence that he had attained to, but simply that um, that he was a servant. And perhaps this may have been in part because he may have been ashamed of the fact that he was, um, did not believe or accept Jesus for who he was while he was alive. And, uh, but it was probably more likely a reflection of, of his very nature and of his character and, and him demonstrating the humility that, uh, that he truly had and that, that he was also one that was living out um, in obedience the, the teachings of Jesus and and thereby maybe appealing to to his readers and to his audience on that basis that they too, in humility and obedience, would be followers of Jesus Christ, servants of God and of Jesus Christ. In Greek, the, this word um, servant is, is um, really uh, translated either to, to mean servant or slave, and almost more in, 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 as slave. And, and really, in, in that time of history, um, slavery was, was uh, commonplace uh, throughout the Roman Empire and even among Jewish people. Uh, that uh, would have had slaves. Probably more than half of the empire, uh, the people, more than half of the people in the empire were either slaves or at one time had been slaves, had been captured and, and sold into slavery or born into slavery. And so this was 
the idea of uh, being a slave um, was certainly one that was well understood by not only these Jewish Christians, but by uh, by everyone at that time. And it really meant that one was... Um, a slave was one that was in servitude to or, or under the total control of his master, uh, of his owner, the one that, uh, that, uh, that actually owned him. And obviously, in most cases, this was not a voluntary position, um, but rather something that was forced upon someone against their will. But they were expected, slaves were expected to be absolutely loyal and obedient to their masters, to their owners. So much so that, that to not be so would invoke uh, severe punishment and at times even death uh, to those that uh, chose to rebel against that and, and, and not submit to that servitude and, and to being a slave. So this um, idea of being a slave was, was certainly one of, of one being in a very humble uh, place, a place of, uh, of, of low estate, we might, a uh, low position, we might uh, call it. And so clearly slaves had, had very few, if any, rights at all, uh, or liberty or freedom, um, only as far as their masters or their owners would perhaps uh, give to them or entrust to them. And this is how James, um, against this kind of a backdrop within the society that uh, all of these people lived in, this is the, the idea that James wants to present to his readers of who he is in relationship to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant, a slave. So before we would look a little bit more at uh, this idea of, of being a slave or a, a servant and, and what that meant to not only to James, but also what it should mean to us today as believers. I'd like to for us to consider the one uh, that was his master and his Lord, the one who was the object uh, of, of um, him being a servant to. And we see the way this, this particular verse is read to us that by referencing not only Jesus but God, so God and Jesus, that in this very first verse, that James is actually acknowledging in this the doctrine of the Trinity. And also, he is, perhaps even more importantly than that, he is um, acknowledging the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is God. And this was extremely important for the Jews because they believed very firmly that there is only one God and, and perhaps had difficulty in grasping the concept of, of God in, the, in, in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But... This idea that Jesus was God and that he was, as the Bible says, it, or as we often say, incarnate, which means in the flesh, that Jesus actually came from heaven and took upon himself flesh and became flesh and blood here on earth. 
And also by using the full title that he gives us in this verse here, the Lord Jesus Christ, James is acknowledging three very important things for us, and and they are here the lordship of Jesus and also the humanity of Jesus and then also Jesus in the sense of being the Messiah and Savior. So let's uh, explore all three of those um, a little bit deeper here this evening. The first one being Lord, and, and this word Lord really expresses the idea of, of um, dignity or honor and majesty. Um, another word that, that we would definitely use is that, that by saying that and calling Jesus Lord, James is saying that Jesus is sovereign. And, and we know that sovereign is a, is a title that is um, reserved for for kings and queens and and heads of state, those that are at, at, at the ultimate authority in um, a, a land or a jurisdiction. And and he is really saying that Jesus is Lord. And in First Timothy chapter six, it, it identifies that uh, Jesus. It says, Jesus, who is blessed, the only sovereign, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, and who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And, and what a beautiful exposition this is for us in the Word of God. And this is certainly how James must have seen Jesus, his half-brother, but his Lord and Savior, his King of kings and, and Lord of lords. And he reverenced Jesus um, in this way as he identified him as Lord. And, and did that also because he would have also identified um, and, and reverenced him and acknowledged him in the same way that the Apostle Paul did in a number of different places as he wrote to the Philippians and the Ephesians and the Colossians. I'd just like to share some of those verses with you. Showing us that by calling him Lord, James was actually acknowledging that Jesus was sovereign ruler over everything. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says that Jesus is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, and not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That he is above everything and everyone. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, wherefore God has also highly exalted him, and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of, um, sorry, let me start over with that. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Paul also uh, goes even beyond that and, and identifies this lordship 
uh, over all of creation. When in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 17, we read that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And really, uh, all of these together give us a picture of, of what it means for Jesus to be called by James and by us as Lord, sovereign over everyone and everything. So I want to ask you this question, and myself as well, knowing this, knowing that these are the truths that we can pull from Scripture. How could James, um, or even we ourselves, acknowledge Jesus as anything else than Lord, for who he really was? Not only does he call him Lord, but he also identifies him here as Jesus, Yeshua, as it would be in, in Hebrew, meaning that Yahweh, God, saves, that the Lord is salvation. And we know that Jesus is the earthly name that was given to Jesus by the angels to Joseph and to Mary. And the angels also proclaimed at the same time that he shall save his people from their sins. And so this idea of salvation is very much entwined um, into this name that was given, this name of, of Jesus. And this is really the name that, that, that he would have been known by um, throughout his ministry and, and throughout the years before his ministry that it was Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus of Galilee, um, Jesus, you know, the son of the carpenter Joseph or of Mary and so on. And, and, and this is really um, an important aspect because it, it really um, shows us that, that in that name of Jesus, there are, are these um, truths about him that are so important for us, things that, that relate to us. Obviously, what I've already mentioned, that of salvation, and that the Bible tells us very clearly that there is no other name that is given um, under heaven whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And we know also from Acts that it is only through the name of Jesus that uh, that there is forgiveness. That message came um, to the people, not only through the prophet's witness, the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, but it tells us there that whoever believes on him will be able to experience the remission of, of sins. And we know also, especially as was evidenced in the early church by, by the apostles, that there was, there was healing in this name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, when when uh, I believe it was Peter and John came to the temple and they saw there a lame um, man and uh, you know they they healed him 
and 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 made it very clear that it was it was um through his name the name of Jesus and through faith in his name that this man was healed that as as it says here that he was made strong and was able to walk again and we know also from scripture actually from the very words of Jesus that there is power in prayer because of this name this name of Jesus Jesus said it himself in John chapter 14 verse 13 that whatsoever we shall ask um he said whatsoever ye shall ask in my name that will I do that the father may be glorified in the son and that is really the reason too that that we pray in the name of Jesus we pray um to God the father um in the spirit, we pray in the spirit, but we pray in the name of Jesus because we know that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, that he intercedes for us, that he is our, uh, at this time, he is our high priest, that he intercedes for us. And so as we would consider all of these different um, uh Things that are, are really associated with the name of Jesus, and, and there are others as, as well. We, we recognize how, how important that is. But, but more than that, he not only said Lord Jesus, but he said Lord Jesus Christ, and that being the third one. Now we know that Christ was not, uh, the surname or the last name of Jesus. It actually was not a, a term that was really, uh, associated or connected with him until after uh, his resurrection as the the church began and and the followers of Jesus became known as Christians those that followed Christ but that um this reference to Christ was was really both a name and a title that was given uh, to Jesus And it's really one that acknowledges him as being the anointed one. To being the, um, would have been to the Jews, the awaited Messiah. The one that they were looking for. The deliverer. The one that um, um, they were waiting for. And that he was indeed uh, to be the savior of the world as he was also identified to. And so, as we look at all of this and how James um, calls what he calls himself and 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 to whom he is a slave or a servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can see that that uh, neither James nor we should reverence and honor and esteem him any less than that for all that he is. And as we've already um, heard from Philippians chapter 2, that every tongue, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just reminded of the, the song that we often sing, when I survey the wondrous cross on which my Savior died. And, and it um, concludes and says, love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. There are also um, 
other questions that we really need to consider and consider for ourselves. And that is, do we, do you and I, do we stand in awe of him? Is he truly our all in all? Does he, does Jesus Christ reign supreme in our hearts, in our lives? Let me repeat that question for you. Do we too stand in awe of him for who he truly is and that he truly is our all in all? And does he reign as being supreme in our hearts and in our lives? And as we would consider our lives, we can perhaps most certainly identify areas of our lives where that is not true. Areas of our lives where we want to be in control and have control. And, and certainly in this time that we're living in, uh, the control that so many of us think we have has been shattered for so many in the world. And yet we know that, that God, through Jesus Christ, wants to have that control of every part of your life and my, and my life. And so we need to be willing to surrender, so to speak, those areas of our lives or parts of areas of our lives that are not fully surrendered to him, to him being um, in control and being the supreme ruler, so to speak, of our lives. And, you know, I... Um, We've perhaps heard of this phrase, and I'd just like you to ponder on it. I I couldn't really, uh, we've heard it often, uh, the phrase, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Um, What does that really mean, or what could that possibly mean for for you and me in our Christian lives? Um, It seems like a very strong statement to say that if, if he isn't fully Lord of every part of my life, then he's not Lord at all. But certainly he is not Lord of all as he should be if we are holding back and not fully surrendered to him in servitude as we ought to be. So what did James mean? Um, and, and what should it mean for us to be a servant, to be a slave of Jesus Christ? This is an important question for us to consider. I believe that James, as we, as you read the entire epistle and, and begin to, uh, see the, the, um, thoughts and, and, and teaching that, that flows from what he has written, we get a glimpse and an understanding of, of the, the type of Christian believer he was and why he was so esteemed and, and respected, uh, there in the church in Jerusalem. And, and was able to effectively lead them by example in, in so many ways. And, and he, he's known in history, uh, for, uh, for this. Um, one thing that scripture does not record, um, but he, but he's known historically within Christian literature as, as one that had camel knees. And, and that was a reference that, that it was said that that James spent so much time on his knees that his knees had become calloused like those of a camel. And it's important for us to, to, to be able to look not only at the, the writings of James and what he has written here um, and, and understand them, but also to apply them 
to our lives so that we truly also could be a slave and a servant to of Jesus Christ. So first of all, we recognize that um, to become a slave of Jesus Christ is something that we do willingly. We are not forced into this servitude. Um, The Bible says, whosoever will may come. It is an open invitation. Um, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Beloved, and especially our friends outside of Jesus Christ, that represents for us an open invitation for all to avail themselves of the grace of God manifested through Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross when he shed his blood and died for our sins so that we could have forgiveness of sin, salvation, and eternal life. In biblical times, we, we know that slavery was, um, or becoming a slave was, was not really an option. It was something that was imposed upon him. But it's interesting, I, I thought of this, in, in ancient Israel, um, we know that at times there were those that were enslaved. Um, most often, if they could not pay uh, a debt, they would be enslaved, often to their fellow Jew. And... Uh, However, there was a provision given within the law that after a certain time, and I believe it was the year of Jubilee, that that they were to then be freed from their slavery. But in Exodus chapter 21, we read that if a servant or a slave would at that time when he could be set free from his master, would instead say that, I love my master, my wife, my children, we, we love our master and we don't want to be freed from him that he could continue on as a slave. And, and, um, there was a procedure that would take place that, that would, would cause that to happen. But the point being that out of love for his master, and obviously this would have been true if the master that he was was enslaved to was a good master, a loving master, a kind master, one that didn't beat him or take advantage of him and treated him and his family uh, well. And so he he chose willingly to be that slave. And we too, because of the love that we have for God, for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, we serve him Willingly, The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And having experienced the love of God in such a tremendous way, we willingly want to serve him. And we did that because we chose that we did not want to continue to live our lives as a slave as a servant of sin and of Satan, but rather to become, like James, a servant of God. Choosing a new master, one that loves us and treats us well. 
not going to take the time to, to read the words, but I encourage you to do it after this service is over from our uh, Zion's Harps hymnal, hymn number 209. Um, read the, especially the first three verses. It beautifully captures this idea that, that we have exchanged the slavery that we were uh, enslaved to of sin to become the slave of God, of Jesus Christ, which is a beautiful place to be. But let's remember that a slave is one who is in servitude to and under the, the absolute and total control of his master or his owner, and that he is expected to be absolutely loyal and obedient, and that he needs to see himself and consider himself to be a humble servant, and to be of a low estate. And we, we too are to become like Jesus in this sense as well, whom the Bible tells us in Philippians that when he took on flesh, that this is how he saw himself. And, and we can see here too that this is how I believe James saw himself and how we too ought to see ourselves. But of Jesus, it says that he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so let us ask ourselves these questions. Let me ask, um, that we ask ourselves this. Do you see yourself as a humble and obedient and loyal follower of Jesus Christ? Ask ourselves, have we properly balanced the, the biblical principles of, and, and teachings of the freedom and the liberty that we have in Christ with that of being a servant or a slave to Christ. Could it be that at times uh, we are trying to serve two masters when in fact we know that Jesus said no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. In other words, you cannot serve uh this, the kingdom, uh, principles of this world or the kingdom, the way the world operates and the, the heavenly kingdom. They, they are diametrically opposed to each other. And we need to consider this question. How are we balancing that thought, that idea? And, and the truth of scripture that reminds us that we are in the world but not of the world. Beloved, that perhaps can become one of the biggest challenges that we have as we live our Christian lives and trying to live them as, as servants of Jesus Christ, um, acknowledging that he is our Lord and our master, how we can live in this world and, and still not be totally um, engulfed, so to speak, by it. We need to ask ourselves, 
what really is it that stands in the way for you and I um, from giving our complete devotion and obedience to Jesus Christ? And then also, what are we prepared to do in our life to change that? Looking at those areas where where we perhaps are not really a good servant and, and haven't fully surrendered or, or, or maintaining that control ourselves. And what adjustments do we need to make in our lives so that we could truly be like James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... In the time to come, as we would go through the book of James, we will come across many of the teachings of Jesus because James really um, hones in on the things that, that Jesus taught and has recorded to, to us in the um, in the Gospels. But he also draws from the wisdom that is contained, especially from uh, Proverbs, which would have been uh, said earlier, very familiar to the Jewish people as well. And may we rise to the challenge, rise to the challenge to be faithful to our calling and to live and obey and please our master, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whose servant we ought to be. We'd like to play for you now the hymn, familiar hymn, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Listen and look closely at the words. Following that, uh, Brother Dan will share a few announcements and then close our service with prayer. May the Lord bless uh, his word to each and every one of you this evening.